Hello, everyone, and welcome to this roundtable discussion brought to you by Intellego. I am Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us here today. If you're in the audience today and you're joining us and you have a question or a comment at any point during this broadcast today, feel free to drop a comment in the comment section on the right-hand side. If you do that, then uh, we'll be able to answer your question either here on the broadcast or someone will answer your question there in the chat as well to make sure that, uh, that we get to as many as we possibly can. Now, another school year is quickly approaching, and as students and teachers return to the class, Classroom, it's vitally important to explore what measures schools can take to, perfect, to protect them both now and into the future. So how can we reduce the spread of infection and create a safer environment to help everyone get back to normal and restore in-person learning? Joining me on this roundtable discussion today to discuss the benefits of UVC in achieving these goals is Grant Morgan, CEO of R0. Grant, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Really excited to be here. We're excited to have you as well. And also joining us here today is Dr. Jim Malley. He's professor of civil and environmental engineering for the University of New Hampshire and also the editor-in-chief of UV Solutions Magazine. Dr. Oma or Dr. Malley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, glad to be here. We're thrilled to have you here and, uh, and to get your expertise as well. And finally, last but not least, we have Daryl Daniels, Assistant Director of Maintenance, Operations and Grounds for Salinas City Elementary School District. Daryl, welcome to the show, thanks for joining us. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have all three of you here on our expert panel here today. Now, before we start our conversation, let's just set the scene for the upcoming year. We know uh, that the crisis of communicable uh, illnesses is not going away anytime soon. The Delta variant of COVID-19 is surging and flu season is predicted to be a doozy. But as always, when it comes to kids, there's always going to be issues with communicable illnesses in school settings. We know that to be a fact. And so uh, as we uh, set the scene and look ahead to the next school year, I'm curious uh, just how Salina City Elementary School District is planning on navigating the issues of biosafety to keep students and staff better protected for this upcoming year year. Uh, what kinds of methods and measures are being implemented? Uh, Daryl, do you have any insight that you can share with us on how Salinas in particular is approaching this upcoming school year? Uh, some of the bigger challenges are uh, restrooms. Um, if you've ever been on a school campus, you know a restroom can have anywhere from 100 kids circulating through there within one recess or up to um, with the complete recess at lunchtime, you could have 400, 500 elementary students go through a restroom. So that was our, one of our challenges of being able to get in there and actually physically clean the restrooms and then follow up with a quick disinfecting and trying to do it in between each of the grade levels. Those are things that we've implemented. Um, one of the things that I, I really get excited about is our UVC lighting and how we incorporated the using the UVC lighting in different situations to where if we have a situation, we always know that uh, some of the younger students that we have on our campuses have a tendency of taking and, and having accidents or actually overeating or playing too much and um, may vomit actually in the classroom. So that creates a whole viral hazard. Um, but understanding that has allowed us to be able to take and go in and do a a quick clean of the actual classroom and the actual material, whatever it may be, and then rolling in our UVC light right behind it. And instead of putting a class out of, out of, you know, out of place for hours, we're in and out of there in 30 minutes. Our school just barely started yesterday. So and as of yesterday, we've actually had additional cases that have already actually came in. Um, so last night I had my crews were actually out taking and doing the UVC light disinfecting on two of my campuses already. 
Um, so those are some of the ways we've put into place. Um, we still are continuing to make sure that all of our chemicals are being used um, to be able to clean and then also disinfect in all of our areas. Um, so that's just a general outline. Daryl, what factors led to you choosing UVC as one of the, the options and one of the ways that you're really looking to protect students and teachers and faculty and staff this upcoming school year? What, what sorts of things led to your thinking? Well, I, I think efficiency is at the top of the list. Um, we're being able to take and move uh, a students and staff out of a room that's in desperate need. We have isolation rooms set up, so if we have a child that comes in not feeling well or, or just, just a minor cold or something like that, and the efficiency of being able to go in and actually um, treat that area as quickly and as promptly as possible. So that was a just clearly one of the directions we knew we had to go. Um, so that, I think that was the, the main point of us directing it in that, that way. I also believe that um, it's so efficient that it allows us to be able to have the time to be able to address other things on our campuses. As we all know, there seems to be a shortage of manpower everywhere. And even here in our district, I'm got 19 openings that I cannot fill. And it's just one of those things that is very difficult to fill. So it allows me to actually have another manpower, so to speak. And sometimes in some places, it's three to four manpowers on my campus. And that UVC light's given me that. That's a great way of putting it, you know, and, uh, and one of the things I think we've seen throughout the pandemic is no matter what line of work you're in, efficiency and flexibility, I think, have really been highlighted. And, and I think schools have really shown that more than, than most other places. And Dr. Malley and, and Grant, I'd like to hear a little bit more from your perspective. You heard Daryl talking about um, especially the efficiency and the way that it helps maximize his resources and staff, that being one of the primary benefits for him of UVC. What are some other benefits from, from your perspectives, uh, just on the benefits of UVC and how they can help in these particular facilities? Uh, Dr. Malley, let me kick it to you first, and then Grant will hear uh, your follow-up thoughts as well. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, so it's a proven technology. That's the first thing to keep in mind. We've probably had UV of one form or another in uh, drinking water for 100 years. Uh, it works at the speed of light. So the speed is always very exciting to us. Um, it um, is what we like in public health engineering to call one of the multiple barriers. Um, I was thinking about driving to work today and I bought a car that had good safety ratings. It's got airbags, seat belts. Those are multiple barriers. So the same thing with UV. It's a nice, efficient, additional barrier, right? We still have to do the dry cleanup and sometimes the wet cleanup. But as uh, Daryl was saying, UV, because of its speed, is a really nice barrier. Now, one caveat, UV is a line of sight technology. So if you're in shadow or you're under a seat, UV can't help you. UV has to be able to illuminate or get to the virus, but multiple barrier, that's my takeaway message. Grant, yeah, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on the, on the benefits of UVC and how they can help, in, especially in school-type settings. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think uh, uh, Daryl and Dr. Malley uh, hit, hit some really important points, but um, what we're hearing a lot, especially from uh, a lot of the school districts that we're working with, is that they love that UVC is chemical-free. 
And, uh, you know, I think that uh, some of the alternatives that exist are that, uh, you know, the uh, staff or crews will come into a classroom or, or to a different environment and they'll, they'll douse it in chemicals. And um, we know that those chemicals are, are harmful to human health, uh, especially if they're aerosolized. They can cause respiratory issues or irritation. They can cause, uh, uh, you know, there are long-term occupational hazards to being exposed. Um, and then especially in, in the younger children's classrooms, uh, a lot of the times there are objects there that get picked up and, uh, and put in, uh, in their mouths uh, or, or, um, or they touch their eyes or face afterwards. And so um, uh, that's uh, that, that obviously a detriment to, uh, to the children. And then the other thing is there are certain areas where you can't use chemicals. So think about uh, like band rooms or uh, where there are sensitive uh, musical instruments or, uh, or labs where there's uh, sensitive uh, electrical equipment. Um, and uh, UVC is, is a really good, uh, uh, um, option for, for especially those places and, and food too. So it's, it's food safe. You can leave an apple on the counter, uh, run a cycle uh, with a, a UVC disinfecting device and come back in and eat the, eat the apple immediately afterwards. So uh, the, the eco-friendly piece of it, the chemical-free piece of it is, is something we're hearing is, uh, is uh, a, an attribute of UVC that our, our customers and especially schools really, really love. So great. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Malley. For a second, I would say uh, that chemical comment is excellent. It's it's why UV started to be the choice in water and wastewater. Chlorine is is valuable. All the disinfectants we work with here at UNH have pros and cons. But uh, that protection against uh, disinfection byproducts, chlorination byproducts, phenols, whatever, really important now as we understand health better. Then the other thing I wanted to say is some of the UV things we can apply are there all the time. Upper room UV, for example, or UV in the HVAC or heating ventilation system. We don't usually keep chemicals there all the time. We can make UV so it is doing work for us all the time in addition to the robots that Daryl was talking about that you roll in. So I just wanted to mention those two other uh, comparative issues. And if I may also, uh, one of the things in our district we suffer from is a lot of staff and students suffering from asthma. Um, and this chemical-free way of being able to actually treat an area without uh, creating any kind of an, a reaction due to the chemicals that are being used to just do the general cleaning and being able to follow up with the UVC light, it really is a game changer, um, especially when teachers are extra sensitive to chemicals um, I, it's just one of those things that really took it home for me. Uh, if I could pile on too, uh, 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 there, you know, I think this has been touched on by both Daryl and Dr. Malley, but, um, but I think the efficacy is most important. And uh, the fact that it works is, uh, is indisputable. We, we've known about UVC and the germicidal properties since the early 1900s, late 1800s, really. In fact, the 1903 Nobel Prize for, for Medicine was awarded to uh, a gentleman named Niels Finson for uh, the use of UVC to, to treat tuberculosis. And um, Dr. Malley talked about uh, UVC's use in wastewater treatment uh, applications since the 1910s. Uh, it's been used in, in air and surface disinfection uh, it's since the 20s and 30s. And then you know, uh, it's become the gold standard in the last couple of decades in terms of uh, infection control, infection prevention in hospitals. And, um, you know, not only will it work against COVID, in fact, COVID's actually uh, relative, or, or SARS-CoV-2 uh, uh, actually is relatively easy to inactivate with UVC, 
but it also works on the common cold, uh, the, the flu, uh, norovirus, which is the stomach, uh, stomach flu. Um, it works against uh, you know, E. coli, uh, MRSA. Um, in fact, there are no known UVC resistant microorganisms on the planet. And so um, this is a technology that can be used today and then long into the future to keep, uh, uh, keep students healthy by, uh, by virtue of uh, creating healthier environments for them to learn it. Grant, can I follow up? You went through the history of UVC, and it's obviously been around for, for a long time. And it's only now maybe starting to, uh, to become more and more widely used, right? You kind of went through some of the usages in the past. In the past, has there been skepticism just about, I can't see it working, or I'm not physically spraying something, right? So how can I know whether or not it's working? Is that, is that one of the common objections that you hear? Why, why, hasn't, or why isn't this being employed in every schoolroom across the country right now? Yeah, I'll answer that in a couple of different ways. But um, one, one I, would, I would actually frame it, uh, rather than framing it as an objection, I'd actually frame it as an opportunity for, for education. And, um, and, and I think that uh, uh, UVC disinfection and disinfection in general is, is historically an invisible process. And so not only can you not be in the room when a UVC device is working, um, but it's happening on a microscopic scale that you might not be able to see. And, um, and uh, it, it's happening uh, in, in, in ways where there's, you know, when you walk back in there, you, you can't really tell, uh, like, how do I know that it worked? And so um, there are a number of different things that, uh, that you can do. But um, uh, our stance as a company is that everything we do is rooted in science and we have to have a definitive proof um, uh, that, that our device works. And we have to have the characteristics of that device uh, well understood so that we know how to apply it in specific situations. And um, there are things that you can do, like use uh, dose cards, which have a special photoreactive ink on them, um, where you can put these cards all over the room or in certain spaces in the room and run a cycle. And the, the ink on them will change colors and, uh, and indicate that you, uh, you delivered the, the dose of light uh, necessary to achieve the results that you're looking for. Um, and there, there are, uh, you know, I think by and large, we, we uh, uh, spend a lot of time uh, uh, figuring out the best ways to educate people on how we know this works. And there are verification uh, uh, steps that you can do, like uh, surface swabbing, air, swab uh, air sampling, um, and actually prove that it works, not just in a lab setting, but actually in the field as well. But um, my, my perception of, of, of sort of why UBC has not proliferated into the mainstream yet is I, I think that there's, uh, I, I personally think that one uh, aspect of it is the lack of regulation and the lack of uniform performance standards. And so there's a lot of noise out there in the industry where people can sell, um, you know, you see these UBC wands on Amazon that are battery powered. They frankly just don't work. Um, but there's, uh, but the UVC industry is not beholden to the same requirements or standards that the disinfection industry is. So that bottle of Lysol uh, uh, chemicals under underneath your uh, your sink at home, um, it says you know kills 99.9% .9 of germs. Um, that's actually regulated by the EPA in terms of what they can say. So they actually have to prove that um, uh, to uh, very standard test methods before they can actually put that on the bottle and advertise that. Um, those same standards don't exist for UVC, so manufacturers can largely claim uh, wh whatever they want. Um, and and uh, I think that's a detriment to consumers because it's hard for them to compare devices apples to apples. And, um, and it can provide a false sense of security if people think that 
their device is doing something that it's not because it's been advertised a certain way that it's disingenuous or misleading, um, it, it, it can actually cause harm to people. And so uh, we think that that should change. Um, and you know, our, our stance is that we need to take take the lead and, and do what we know to be right and actually prove against uh, live microorganisms in, in a uh, third party lab setting um, that our device works in, in a, a, a simulated real world environment and then uh, validate and verify that out in the field as well. Yeah, if I could, I could uh, add to that a little bit, uh, I think um, spot on really. Plus we just didn't grow up with ultraviolet. We didn't grow up with ozone either. You know, we grew up bleaching our clothes, uh, going to the bathroom and putting peroxide on our cuts, or going to the drugstore, the Lysol, Mr. Clean, whatever you, you know, and they're all good. They all have pros and cons. We didn't grow up with UV because you really can't expose yourself to UV. We don't want that. Um, but we've, we've walked this walk before in tuberculosis, in measles, in healthcare acquired infections in hospitals and in drinking water where we started out with kind of this wild west of UV and now we have very high-end validated regulated UV and so the largest cities in the world use UV for their safety. I think UV is coming of age um, but again those issues that Grant brought up are spot on. It's familiarity. You can't smell it, you can't see it, and you can't taste it. So again, that's hard, then how do we know it's working? So here at the university and at the Ultraviolet Association, we're really pro-validation. Uh, we're pro-due diligence. When you're gonna buy anything as a school district, do your homework, get UV products that are, as Grant said, validated. Um, you know, others are using them. You can talk to actual owners of it. You know, that's really important. Because sadly, right now, there is an awful lot of rubbish out there due to the COVID, you know, spike in sales of UV equipment. So those are my other points of view. That's a great perspective. Thank you so much for that, uh, Dr. Malley. Yeah, that, that's, um, yeah, I, I appreciate that very much. So, uh, Daryl, I want to turn back to you. Uh, when. When Salinas City School District uh, communicated your biosafety initiatives to parents, teachers, and students, and, and that sort of thing, what was the general response that, that you received? How did people respond to the use of UVC uh, when it was announced and when it was communicated to different, uh, different parties throughout, uh, different interested parties throughout the district? Well, I can honestly say that um, we initially rolled out to where we brought in four of our ARC units onto our campuses. They were received very openly. Um, we kind of told our sites that we were using these uh, three school sites as a demonstration module to be able to take and actually put the units to use on a regular basis. We incorporated them during our summer school programs. Um, where we actually found that we actually reduced the amount of absenteeism during our summer school. That was a huge impact when you have a, which we had, had always had the reduced due to COVID on our campuses. So we had a summer school program that had 400 students. We had a total of 25 students out for the summer program that we had in place. That's the, the least amount we've ever had on our school campus. Um, with that amount of student population on a single site. The other sites didn't report any students being absent due to illness or something like that. It was other. 
Um, the parents were very receptive to it. Um, we actually had uh, one of our principals engage, and they actually um, named their unit. <laughs> I really liked the email that was actually sent out to the parents, and I was CC'd in that email, and it was a help give our ARC unit a personalized name. Um, so I, I thought they embraced it very openly, to be honest. That's fantastic. And what was the response from, from custodial staffs as well? Was it uh, well-received? Uh, you mentioned that, that efficiency aspect earlier. Was that something that, that was well-received within the, the custodial staffs as well? I would have to say in the beginning, they found it challenging. Um, the thought of them carrying an additional piece of equipment um, from room to room, um, they weren't looking at it in um, as another tool in the tool belt of the custodian. They were looking more of it like, okay, now I have something else I have to carry with me. So they were looking at, at it as an additional task. Now I think their overall view has absolutely changed. It has become more regular for them to actually, uh, I think of one of my custodians at one of my sites and he was so creative because he was taking and used a jump rope that was really tattered and not very well used anymore and actually attached one of the jump ropes to one of the handles on the arc system and then attached it to his barrels and as he's rolling his barrels along the arc unit is following behind him so very creative <laughs> to be honest with you but that initial feeling was is that you're increasing my workload and then after the use and then after the the actual initial we're not increasing your workload. We're making your workload better. We're actually making it um, less physical by taking and bringing in. We still have hand methods that are in place, but the arc is definitely moving in the direction that I would like to see our district move into to where we're full use all the time. I think that's that's really well put, and the efficiency aspect is something I keep focusing on because in addition to health and safety, we also know that that any decision that a school district makes at this point also has to factor in budget and, and where schools are at this moment in time. And so uh, there has to be a, a clear ROI, which is why I think that efficiency aspect is so important. Grant, when you have conversations like this with, with people, is that something that you bring up? Is that something that you discuss on a regular basis, this, that return on investment that you get from save time? reduce labor and some of the other benefits that, uh, that UBC can provide. Absolutely. It's something that uh, not only do we introduce as, as uh, you know, a, a potential um, benefits to using it, but we actually help our, our customers prove it as well. Um, and uh, we'll help them, you know, uh, run time studies. Uh, we'll help them uh, understand uh, how to best integrate it into their operations. Um, but, you know, by and large, I think if you look at schools and what they're interested in, uh, it's student performance. It's what is how, what, what can we do to increase the quality of learning? And we know that students being in the classroom and being taught live um, is, is the most effective uh, sort of learning uh, methodology uh, uh, by and large. I, I think you know, there, there may be some exceptions, but uh, on the whole, um, that's the ultimate goal. And, um, and that's also uh, in a lot of cases how, uh, how schools get their funding. Um, so it impacts their funding as well. Um, and, uh, and at the end of the day, I think that uh, the, the educators that we're speaking to and, and um, the facilities managers and, and uh, uh, you know, Daryl and his colleagues, are, 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 um, you know, their jobs have changed. And uh, not only do they have to be operations experts, but now they have to be epidemiologists as well. 
And so, um, you know, I think uh, by and large, they're looking for new tools and technologies to help uh, uh, facilitate this evolution of their of their role. And um, and, and we think that, uh, uh, you know, we have a tremendous amount of respect for for what Daryl uh, is doing. And, and the, you know, it, oftentimes it happens behind the scenes and it's unsung, but um, they're the heroes and they're the ones that are enabling um, you know, the, the, the safe return to school in, in a lot of different cases. But, uh, but yeah, I think it, it, it all comes back to student learning, student performance, um, uh, and, and the, the efficiency, the uh, reduction in chemicals, um, uh, the uh, reduction in, um, uh, in absenteeism. That, those are all huge, huge benefits that, uh, that our customers um, are, are loving to see. And they, and they are pretty universal and they translate to really any sort of environment, not just schools. Dr. Mallory, did you have any uh, final follow-up thoughts to uh, to Grant's comments there? Yeah, I was thinking about the history a little bit. We we saw this growth and evolution of UV, um, as we were saying earlier. Um, about 40 years ago, I started talking about UV and drinking water, and there was six people in the room. You know, that was <laughs> this crazy professor. You know, now New York City has it, the largest one in the world. Um, I think it's going to be very similar as we get more familiar. And the people on the front line are the key. Daryl, his staff, the teachers, the aides, they're going to start talking to each other and start saying, yeah, it works really well. And then in, in the UV solutions uh, manual, we have an operator's corner every quarter. And the operators compare notes and come up with better ideas than I ever could. So I think it's a growth curve. I think COVID is a wake-up call, just like TB was and measles was it's now an illness that's really scary, right? And could be really lethal. And I think that wake up call is not gonna go away. Um, again, it's gotta be used properly, it's gotta have due diligence and it's gotta have monitoring. But, and, and Daryl's right on, I, I'm blue collar worker originally. It's another task for me, change is different. It's gonna make my job harder. We live that in the water field as well until we got better familiarity and operators came up with smarter ways to to use it so i'm really encouraged i think it's going to grow in schools and aircraft uh, cruise ships uh, i really do believe that uh, i i want to add on to that too i think uh dr Malley absolutely hit it on the head i think um COVID has been a wake-up call and i think that we as a society have uh, a, a a new awareness of the relationships between the built environment and the time where or the places where we as humans spend so much of our time and our overall health. And I think that, um, you know, prior, prior to COVID, uh, there, there, there wasn't uh, that awareness. And now that COVID has been with us for, for almost a couple of years now, um, and uh, we've started to learn the types of things that increase our risk, being indoors in poorly ventilated uh, areas with, with lots of other people that are potentially unmasked. Um, uh, I think that th this this awareness hasn't existed before, and I think it's it's um, it, it's it's woken up the the uh, our society and and uh, and invited the conversation um, uh, around how can we do better. And I think the reality is, you know, COVID has opened our eyes, but we we've had a problem for for a really long time before COVID. Forty million Americans get the flu every year, and somehow we've just accepted that that's normal. Um, uh, and, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, as a company have sort of had this realization as, as, um, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic where, you know, we were wiping down all of our surfaces and, and all of our belongings and, 
and, and things like that with chemicals. And, and we realized those are the same chemicals that we're using to fight the COVID today that we were using in 1918 to fight the Spanish flu pandemic. And uh, to us, that's crazy. And, um, you know, in, in, in 2021, you know, we can send a rocket to outer space and, and land it on an autonomous drone boat in the middle of the ocean, but we're still using, you know, bleach-based, chlorine-based chemicals and, and wiping things down. Um, and so I think that uh, there, there will be sort of this, this evolution, perhaps even a revolution around uh, uh, the health and safety of indoor spaces. And, and there will be uh, a, 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 an awareness and, and some, some pressure on, uh, you know, uh, the built, uh, the people that um, own and operate the built environment to invest in healthy buildings infrastructure and invest, therefore, in, uh, in spaces that promote human health and productivity as well. Um, and I, I think that we as a society will all benefit. And so I think that change will be welcome. But, you know, human health is universal and it's something that I think everybody can get behind. Dr. Malley, is this an education uh, issue where just more people need to learn, hear, and understand the benefits of UVC? And when that begins to occur through things like what we're doing here today, that, that we'll see broader and broader adoption and start to see this on a wider scale. Do you think this is primarily just we need to educate the public as much as possible. Yeah, I think Grant had said that, and I would agree with that. Uh, you also raised an important issue. Return on investment is challenging to prove to the uh, buyer, the owner. Um, but those organizations that have really looked hard at it, uh, Daryl mentioned restrooms. Um, the healthcare industry recognized when they started using UV as a barrier for healthcare acquired infections, one of the most valuable places to use it was the individual restrooms usually attached to your hospital room or to your surgical areas. Um, so I think it is hard to show return on investment. I think we are still plagued with it's tasteless, it's odorless, it's colorless. You know, historically we've had over 150 years of people, oh, I can smell bleach, it's good. You know, we're going to just keep educating folks and we're going to, I think I've always been amazed that the general public was not worried about the flu, but all healthcare people would say it was one of the greatest killers in our country. So, so I think that wake up call is here. Uh, we have to keep working harder to make UV more cost effective, more green, um, more useful. Uh, the validation that Grant suggested, I'm a huge fan of. Um, but yeah, we're going to slowly educate people. And uh, we have an old saying in public health engineering, you know, build it and they shall come. So if your regional school district is having success with it, we're going to start seeing other regional school districts get a higher level of comfort using it. So it'll happen, I think. Yeah, and I think if I might, um, you've, you've nailed it, Dr. Morali. Um, I think one one of the things that I felt like I was engaging in not the the COVID, I was looking at the future and trying to take the district in a general direction that would be able to use for many years after I've retired, that they would be able to take and continue the, this technology and that they would be able to take and continue to take and create these standards that we're actually physically seeing. I think pre-COVID, and I can definitely recall that I had one school that was devastated by the amount of students being absent due to the common cold. Um, if you have a 60 student population that's out and it's they're out for a week and a half straight, our ADA plummets 
and it makes it really difficult to recover from something of that, that size. And that was something that I encountered prior to pre-ARC, after we have our ARC, I've already seen those numbers change because of our summer school program. So our attendance has actually increased and I'm anxious to see how this year turns out. And I'm sure come December, I'll be able to physically go back and look and actually look at the absenteeism uh, and do a comparison from pre-COVID. Yeah, I yeah, think that's... that's a great comment. We hear a lot that, you know, COVID's going to go away, so all this interest in UBC is also going to go away. And I don't think so. I think, as uh, Grant said, we're now much more, as a public, educated on virus, on, on how damaging it can be, and that we've lived with it every year. There'll be another H1N1 or some flu next year. I certainly pray to God it won't ever be as bad as COVID-19 or you know, the Delta variant, but I, I don't think it's going to go away. And I think Daryl is a visionary, just like the city of New York was. You start making the next step into the 21st and 22nd century. So I agree totally with that, that approach. We got a question coming in from uh, from the audience. It's Jerry Dipadista, and he asked, uh, we're seeing huge interest in UVC air disinfection. Uh, Dr. Malley, I think you mentioned this early on in the uh, in the conversation. Do you have any thoughts about that, UVC air disinfection? Yeah, I'm a big fan, actually, uh, where, where it makes sense. Uh, you know, um, the uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning industry, uh, there's an organization called ASHRAE that is their group um, uses it in ductwork, uh, air conditioning, heating, uh, forced hot air heating. Um, uh, also, as I said, there's an internal to the room, upper room air UV technology that can be used. Um, and I think it's really important. It, it becomes a little more complicated when we're treating air because we have to understand the airflow. So once again, you want to have a due diligence, you want to pick a team that really knows what they're doing so that they can install it properly and maintain it. But I, yeah, I think we're going to see it here in our region. We've seen a little bit more of it in restaurants, uh, in hotels, um, you know, to some degree to give their customers another level of comfort so people will come back to their businesses. But uh, yeah, I think it is going to grow. Yeah, and I'll add to that too. I think uh, uh, Dr. Malley touched on um, upper air uh, UVGI, and uh, you know we we actually uh, uh, developed a, a product because we think that that's a, a really sort of elegant and effective um, form factor for a number of reasons. But uh, one, just kind of going back in in, in time a little bit, uh, a little bit more history around it. Um, there was a famous study in the 1940s during the measles outbreak uh, in in the Philadelphia public school system um, that found that. Uh, these schools that had upper room UVGI in their bathrooms alone um, saw about 40% less measles transmission. And measles is, is one of the, if not the uh, most contagious uh, of, um, uh, different pathogens that we've ever seen. And uh, so we know that this form factor works. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that uh, it was used again during the tuberculosis outbreak uh, uh, quite a bit. But, um, but to Dr. Malley's point, I think that uh, there, there's uh, air is more complex. Um, it's it, it moves, it flows, uh, and there's a lot of interactions that can change uh, uh, the the conditions within a room that really can impact efficacy and, and the viability of this. But um, a couple of the reasons why we like the upper room UVGI um, uh, uh, systems is is because 
uh, they're a, a really uh, cost-effective augmentation to uh, uh, provide local air disinfection within a, uh, within a specific classroom um, that, that you don't have to spend you know, tens of millions of dollars installing a new HVAC system. Uh, uh, and, and then some HVAC systems are, are so old that you can't upgrade your filters uh, uh, from say MERV 8 to MERV 13 filters. Um, and if you do upgrade from MERV 8 to MERV 8, uh, 13, for example, uh, you're, you're gonna incur additional uh, operational costs. And so um, it does require a, a, a layered approach, but upper room UVGI can be installed in every classroom uh, to provide local uh, air uh, uh, disinfection in that room without having to circulate that, uh, that contaminated air back through a centralized system and then pump it back into the room after it's treated. So um, I think we're gonna see more and more uh, air disinfection with UVC and, uh, and, and we, we absolutely know it works. And, the, uh, to the to the points earlier about sort of the expanded use of these things beyond COVID, um, uh, the upper air uh, uh, disinfection units or UVC disinfection in general for air uh, can can not only help uh, reduce the spread of COVID, but any other sort of airborne pathogen. Um, it can work to help uh, reduce uh, uh, some of the bacteria uh, that cause um, uh, that cause asthma and in different uh, uh, pollutants or, or allergens as well. So um, it, it can help with chronic respiratory uh, uh, issues as well. So it's, it's got uh, use cases and benefits well beyond COVID. So uh, we think it's a phenomenal investment for, for schools especially. And, and I, I personally believe that these types of units should be uh, in, in virtually every classroom across the United States. So I can share where we have moved from utilizing UVC units in our classrooms to where we're actually moving in the direction of installing them in our HVAC systems. Um, originally, our um, upper management determined that they wanted us to go through and do a filter change out on all of our HVAC systems. So we went from a MERV 8 filter to a MERV 13 filter. This created a problem because a lot of our units were old units. So which step we had to take next was to be able to take and actually have an evaluation done on each of our HVAC units. And then we discovered, of course, that a lot of the new regulations that are in place now, we found out our CFM movement inside of our classrooms was not adequate. So now we're actually in the process of getting a contractor to come out and evaluate each and every classroom for 14 schools. Very expensive process, but it's one that we are embracing now. If we would have considered this to begin with, we would have went with the bipolarization and put those in our HVAC units without changing our filters and keeping them at a MERV-8 until we determined that we are, our units were capable of handling a MERV-13 filter, and we did not do that. So we did have a lot of HVAC systems that did fail throughout our district that are still in need of repairs that we're still addressing at this time. Wow, that's that that that's fascinating and a really interesting use case. Just as far as uh, what you've seen and experienced so far, Daryl, and so I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. I, I, I want to ask Daryl for your perspective. If someone in a similar position as you from a different school district came and asked your opinion, should we use UVC or should we not? What would you tell them? How would you uh, have that conversation with them, and what would you bring up? I would invite them over to sit down and see how we are using our UVC to the benefit of our classrooms and our schools. 
Absolutely. Do you have any suggestions for school systems that, that want to in, in, investigate, maybe implement UVC disinfection systems? What sorts of things do you think um, uh, might you uh, want to, uh, I suppose, communicate about your experience that could help someone else successfully implement UVC? I think one of the challenges we have is we're always focusing on what's going on now. Um, I think we have to, and the leadership it has to also be on the same page with you and moving towards the future. And I really believe that the UVC implementation of our district has actually moved our district into, a, into the future. Um, we're not focusing on the COVID issue. We're focusing on all the issues that we are constantly been up against for so many years. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fantastic point. And so um, I, I'm curious to hear from uh, from Grant and, and, and Dr. Malley just on, on your thoughts on the best ways to go about successfully implementing UVC in a, in a school district and, and doing uh, similar things to what you've heard Daryl do. What are some suggestions and maybe some uh, some tips that you might have to do this on, on, in a successful manner? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take it first. I, I would say that, uh, you know, given some of the earlier conversation around how there's a lot of uh, sort of noise in, in the industry, there's, you know, there's a lot of opportunism uh, happening right now. I, I think that you, you want to find uh, a, a company or an organization um, that will be consultative um, and that, uh, that you uh, can develop trust with um, and, uh, and, and, you know, make sure that, uh, that you know they're they're producing the validated test testing results um, that they're helping educate you along the way and that you understand um, what it is that you're you're going to be installing into your uh, into your space um, and you know the, the most important questions are, are how do I know it works um, and uh, and and I think that that's that's uh, that's something where you you know you have to stay vigilant and stay on top of it but uh, as long as they can they can produce the the credible uh, testing results and the validation. Um, and and help uh, 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 produce uh, the best results uh, possible um, when they're evaluating your space. I think uh, I think that that's a, a really good uh, path forward. Um, the other thing is is uh, you know one of the things that we're doing that that uh, that our customers uh, love is um, speaking of moving into the future. Like Daryl was uh, was was speaking about, um, we're using a lot of uh, 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 computational modeling uh, and and we're we're doing a lot of things to evaluate a space and and help um, predict uh, what the outcome might be if if you are able to install these uh, as we're recommending. Um, but basically, our, you know, we will send someone from our team out and we'll evaluate your space and we'll make some recommendations. But ultimately. It's up to you on, on what you choose and, and how, how aggressive you want to get with your risk mitigation. But um, but uh, a company or an organization who's going to help walk you through that process and, and it's not a transactional relationship, um, I think is, is super important uh, uh, as you're evaluating your options. Yeah, it comes also, uh, I think we lump a lot into what I call due diligence. But, you know, whether the school district's thinking about purchasing new copy machines or the latest in their computer laser printers, whatever. I think people are pretty familiar with how these uh, marketplaces operate. So uh, similar with UV, um, if you can use a quality-based selection rather than a low bid, if you can go with five to 10 companies that can show you where they've done this before, they can show you right on their website, independent third-party lab results, um, it's going to help a lot, and 
it's going to save the mistakes. And it, it, it's important to us who believe the UV field works it, to keep the rubbish out because getting a great school success story is important. If we get rubbish, we're going to also get the bad school yeah. story, and that that travels yeah. fast faster than the um, uh, good news. So that due diligence is so important. To some degree, you do get what you pay for. Um, so I would I would give that kind of advice: due diligence. Look on the website for reports of validation. Uh, how many schools have they worked with? Uh, none. Uh, five. You know, it won't be a huge number yet, but. That's really important. These are great comments and great thoughts uh, from all of you. It's been a, an absolute pleasure getting a chance to learn from your, your expertise and your insights here on this topic. Uh, I want to begin to wrap up our conversation today just by getting any final thoughts and conclusions from the three of you just on everything we've discussed today. Anything you also want the audience to walk away with uh, as they think about not just now but into the future and the role that UVC can play in lots of different facilities, not just in school buildings but also offices, hotels, restaurants, event venues, so many different places uh, across our society can utilize this technology but I want to toss it over to each of you individually just to get any final thoughts and conclusions anything you'd like to leave our audience with today Daryl let's start with you uh, anything that you'd like to say here in closing and leave our audience with when I look back um, when we initiated the presentation to our school board the support that I received um, from the R0 representatives really allowed me to be able to have a clear presentation. Um, I think that was really important. You really touched on it, Dr. Morale, um, by taking and making sure the company that you are engaging with purchasing your UVC light, making sure they're a credible company. Um, I can see that actually going bad quite rapidly. But I can honestly say that um, if I had not sent out an email many, many months ago, to this little company over in Santa Clara and kind of ask, what's this UVC thing? Um, I don't think I'd be where I'm at right now. And that's when I started educating myself on how to do it. It takes approximately 30 minutes of your time to really start getting into the, the, the details of the, the ability that UVC will do and, and what it will take care of and how it will dress it and how efficient it is and and then it, you just really start saying when can i um, move to the first demonstration um and it's just honestly it, it has been a really good thing in our district and i'm looking forward uh, like i say to the statistics that are actually going to be showing that come this december um, when that flu is really running wild in our district and we still have our students that are still on campuses so i'm looking forward to that excellent stuff thank you so much daryl and, and dr malley um any final thoughts anything you want to leave our uh, our viewers with today yeah thank you very much tyler for uh moderating and for being a uh, part of this um so i think the STEM community, the researchers, the uh, independent association can show you that UV works. So uh, it's been around a long time. It might be new to schools. It's not new to our profession. So it works. Uh, due diligence or quality-based selection, I think absolutely critical. Um, and then lastly, we've talked briefly about it. There is good inexpensive monitoring you can do with the uh, you know, dosimeter cards that we talked about. 
definitely want to have some way of knowing you got what you paid for. So I would leave those three messages. It works, due diligence, and monitoring. Thank you. Absolutely. Last but not least, Grant, uh, any final thoughts here that you want to leave our audience with? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I, I just want to want to call out uh, uh, Daryl and uh, the, all of the facilities managers, the custodial staff. Um, uh, you know, everybody that's working to to um, uh, to to provide a healthy space or, or the safest space possible for students and teachers to come back to. But you know, I think that uh, the realization that that we've had uh, over the last year or two, um, working with a lot of schools, is 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 that they're absolute heroes and. And um, you know the the reality of the situation is, is humans are an indoor species. We spend ninety plus percent of our lives indoors, and um, and the implications of that are that your facilities manager or the person making decisions about the built environment where you spend your time, um, that person has a greater impact on your overall health than your doctor does. And um, and I I just want to you know thank and appreciate um, all of the facilities managers as they take on this new uh, scope of responsibility and work so hard. Um, uh, to keep others safe, but um, you know, I think that the big takeaway I, I would I would uh, uh, you know share with everybody I think is is that you know we're at this moment in time where where everything is changing and, and we have an opportunity to uh, to take a huge step forward and improve human health holistically um, uh, by by uh, creating safer spaces for us all to be in um, through COVID and beyond and the tools and technologies exist. Um, we know that they work. Um, we just need to put them together in the right way and uh, and invest in uh, the health and the productivity and the safety of our students, teachers, staff, um, and uh, and and employees, guests, uh, patrons, uh, anybody who comes into the indoor environments that you own or operate. So, uh, uh, you know, I thank you guys for for having me, and it's been a pleasure to be here. And uh, uh, yeah. Excellent, excellent stuff from our three panelists. Before we sign off today, we have one final question from the audience we wanted to knock out. Uh, this is from Matt Davies, and he asks, what is, what is the panel's thoughts about UVC versus far UVC? So uh, any thoughts on that from anybody? Yeah, um, I, so I'll start with, with the statement that I, I believe that in 20 or 25 years from now, we'll look back on far UVC and consider it one of the most consequential and important uh, 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 technologies or inventions uh, in our lifetime. And uh, it has tremendous potential, um, but you know, keeping with the theme that we've been talking about, um, not all far UVC is created equal. Um, most of, uh, almost all of the far UV lamps that are out there right now actually produce some harmful uh, uh, wavelengths of light. And so they need to be filtered. Um, so you have to have filtered far UV, um, but the, uh, and for, for those of you who, who aren't familiar with far UV, um, Far UV is a, a shorter wavelength of UVC um, compared to traditional 254 nanometer uh, UVC. And far UV is, uh, it happens to be 222 nanometers, um, but the 222 nanometer wavelength is not harmful to human skin and eyes. So it can be used in occupied rooms um, to disinfect not only air, but also surfaces. Um, and you can do that continuously in real time. Um, the thing I'm personally so excited about is it works uh, in a fundamentally different way than uh, than any other sort of like air disinfection or filtration. So if you think about those uh, those traditional air disinfection and filtration mechanisms, um, you you physically have to move the air somewhere 
to be able to treat it. So it has to move through a vent, through a central HVAC system and a filter, where then it's treated and then pumped back into the, the classroom or, or whatever room or environment it's in. Um, with far UV, because it's just light, um, you and I could be sitting here talking face to face. And if I'm sick and I'm breathing out uh, ostensibly contaminated air, um, if there's a far UV lamp above us, as soon as that air leaves my mouth um, uh, or, or my nose, as soon as I breathe it out, it's being disinfected in real time. And that pathogenic load, that viral load uh, or bacterial load is being lowered uh, and, and therefore reducing the risk of, uh, of you getting infected by the time that you know, the air that I'm breathing uh, moves into your vicinity. And so um, there's a lot of science uh, th uh, that exists right now. There's more to, a lot more to be done uh, as, we, as we work to um, you know, really establish this as, as a, a, a technology that can be proliferated anywhere. But, um, but uh, it is super important right now, uh, if you're looking at FAR UV, to make sure that your FAR UV is filtered and uh, you know, again, I think the theme of today is, is make sure that it's validated, tested uh, independently, and uh, and that the manufacturer that or the organization that you're you're uh, considering uh, uh, their products uh, is able to produce all of those things to prove that it's safe and effective for you uh, before you go ahead and make a decision. But uh, but I think far UV is is absolutely the future, and uh, and uh, I, I think that it's going to be a super important tool for us to be able to fight all kinds of pathogens moving forward. Fantastic stuff, Grant. Thank you for tackling that question. Uh, Grant, where can people find out more about R0? Yeah, come find us online, r0.com. That's R-Z-E-R-O.com. Um, drop us a line on, on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, and, and uh, you know we're on all social media platforms as well. But uh, r0.com is, is going to be your best bet. And Dr. Malley, tell us where we can learn more and, uh, and maybe read some of, uh, of the uh, UV Solutions magazine. Yeah, thank you very much. I wanted to say um, the International UV Association, uh, IUVA.org, is a great place to go. Um, they actually have sort of a seminal paper on FAR UVC. Um, uh, on there, you'll see the link to UV Solutions, which right now is open access. Um, and, uh, you know, by all means, if uh, you ever need to reach out to UNH, we're happy to help out also. Uh, one other thing I'll say about FAR UVC, I think the science is sound. Everything Grant said about the excitement, we all have that excitement. I think scale up, I think uh, the engineering and the proof of having it work in an entire classroom is not here yet. Uh, but uh, I think it is exciting. So yeah, iuva.org, uh, unh.edu, we'd love to help you out if you need it. Excellent stuff. Thank you so much to all three of you for joining us and for being part of this panel discussion today. It's been a pleasure getting a chance to learn from all three of you and, uh, and to learn from your perspectives and your experiences. And so thank you so much to my expert panel, Grant Morgan, Dr. Jim Malley, and Daryl Daniels. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank Thanks you. Absolutely. And thank you to Intelligo Technologies for sponsoring and putting on this broadcast today, uh, allowing us to educate the market a little bit more on the benefits of UVC. For more from Intelligo, go to intelligo-technologies.com. That is their website. You can learn a little bit more about what they're doing in the world of dosimeters. And everyone, stay tuned for more from Intelligo. We'll be back soon with more content along these lines, more roundtable discussions, podcast videos just like this. So stay tuned for that. But for this roundtable discussion today, I've been your host today, Tyler Kerr. 
Perrin, thank you all so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon.